It may be dreams that have come from, to you as a, a child uh, uh, that Easter is not quite done until you get the Easter eggs and all the candy. My kids are in their 30s right now, and uh, I can tell you, even today, they are going to be tremendously disappointed because we didn't put Easter eggs out for them. Well, they'll be out for the grandkids, but they don't get any this year. Um, and I will not presume to know what anybody has in mind as to what constitutes a successful Easter, but as, as we were going through all the issues with the sound and everything like that, I, w- I had to reflect and think to myself that every year, in all the years I've been in, mystery, uh, in ministry, uh, I've, I've found that there is a unique gift to be found in Easter, a gift of gentle grace along the way. And this morning, I can, I can think of a few. Well, one, very personal, after a week of being sicker than I've been in a lawful long time, I'm just glad to be upright, fully clothed, and in my right mind. I, you know, well, two out of three is not bad <laughs> when you think of it. Uh, just to be able to be here to be, is, is, is uh, maybe witness to the resurrection. And then having a chance to be able to see the baptisms for Michael and Nini. I feel like I've been a part of their story and to be able to hear their testimony and, and to be able to see the two of you, to be able to take that onto you, into your life, and to be able to stand and make that. I, I am so profoundly thankful for that. This is a very wonderful gift. And I suppose it's even been a gift to be able to see Grant having to adjust. That is a gift in itself as well, and that's a good thing. But I guess the ultimate message is here that this day isn't about our expectations, really. But the day is really all about his gentle and yet powerful grace. And with that in mind, I'm going to ask for you to join together with me in a word of prayer. And so, gracious Heavenly Father, we come before you on this Easter Sunday morning as we have each and every year and as have believers for several millennia now, being reminded of not only the hopes and dreams that go into salvation, but the actual fact that comes in salvation. That having paid the price on Calvary and having gone through all of the events of the passion and having taken upon yourself the weight of our sin, you have broken through the grave and you are now with us and have been with us, Lord, both for this day and forevermore with a power that oversees all other things. Help us to receive the gifts that you give us, Lord, in gentle grace, knowing that it is also in powerful grace, both now and forevermore. This I pray in Jesus' name and for his sake. The name of the resurrected Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. So it has been almost for 2,000 years that believers throughout the world have greeted this day with a shout, heard, and we've said it already to each other this morning. And it's been said in virtually every language around the globe already known to man. In virtually every corner of this globe, an Easter chant has resonated in the hearts of those who believe, and it begins by saying, He is risen, and the response is, He is risen indeed. So, He is risen. He is risen indeed. If, if we saw last week the power of momentum 
antiphonal momentum in Palm Sunday. And there was a power there whenever we read those words that were, that were orchestrated in the Psalms, Psalm 118, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, Hosanna. If there is a power in that sort of momentum, Easter only amplifies the sound that glorifies the Lord with that declaration. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Feel free to say it at any time when I say he is risen, okay? In the year 1930, the famous Bolshevik uh, intellectual leader, Nikolai Bukharin, he journeyed from Moscow to Kiev to address the entire city. Several hundred thousand people were set out before him. It was during and at the beginning of the great Soviet campaign for atheism, intended to wipe out all vestiges of ancient religion in the people. For a full hour, the people stood before loudspeakers as Bukharin attacked Christianity, and he leveraged his best arguments, and he ridiculed the faith with, with really powerful humor. And when he was finished at last, he stood with his arms folded across his chest, and he viewed with triumph at what, he, what appeared to be the smoldering ruins of the Christian faith. And then he said something interesting through the microphones. He said, are there any questions? <laughs> and from that crowd, that vast crowd, a single man actually raised his hand. It was a simple peasant who had been drawn to the city, and he was escorted into the stage, and he was ushered to stand next to Bukharin. The, the audience, the city, was spellbound at the sight. You had the proud, and then you had the peasant standing next to one another. And, and slowly the man, this simple, simple man, he looked to his left, and then he looked to his right, and then he cleared his voice and stepped to the microphone and with utter clarity shouted out three words. Christ is risen. And the crowd responded, He is risen indeed. <laughs> Was that an, an act of bravery by a simple man? Yes, I believe so. But was it a declaration of truth? Absolutely. We may think of our culture today as one which mocks faith and snickers at Jesus Christ, especially at Easter, if you notice, in the media. But it is nothing compared to the Soviet Union in the 1930s. And it is nothing, really, compared to hundreds of other cultures that, that have despised our faith throughout the centuries, all the way back to Rome and even into Jerusalem. And yet, despite all of the pressure and the disdain of a hostile world, the conviction of our faith rests solid on the fact that Jesus is alive. All the way back to the very first sermon delivered by the disciples of Jesus Christ, this is the truth upon which we stand. You heard the first sermon read to you this morning. It appears in Acts chapter 2. When the Apostle Peter took his stand before the people of Jerusalem and he said, men of Israel, listen to these words. Jesus, the Christ, a man attested you to you by God with miracles and wonders and signs, which God performed through him in your midst, just as you yourselves know this man 
Jesus, delivered up by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, you nailed him to a cross by the hands of godless men and you put him to death. But God raised him again, putting an end to the agony of death since it is impossible for him to be held in its power. This was an eyewitness account that left no shred of doubt. This is testimony from the very same Peter who cowered in fear in the shadow of the cross just days before. The same Peter who would stammer out denials in the face of danger just a few days before. The same Peter who before the same authorities who crucified the Lord knew with all of his heart that Jesus was alive. And it was impossible for him, as he says, Jesus Christ to ever be held again in death's power. He is risen. There may be people today like the commissars of a past generation who say that there is no evidence in the world that will convince them that the resurrection actually happened. But Peter, the one who saw, the one who knew, said just the opposite, and nothing could convince him otherwise. It is impossible for Christ to be held by the power of death. For many, it may seem improbable, but those who have studied and investigated and looked with extreme care remain utterly convinced, even to the point of death. The Apostle John when he wrote his first letter, 1 John, he began it with an announcement. He said, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked on, and our hands have touched, this we proclaim to you concerning the word of life. Jesus Christ is our risen Lord. At Easter, Jesus breaks through all the impossibilities, all of the improbabilities with resurrection reality. I love the story that was told by Pastor Ed Ross of the College Church in Wheaton, Illinois. His wife had already bought the cutest little Easter outfit for their three-year-old daughter, Nicole. It was his job to take then that little girl, that little three-year-old girl, out to buy shoes to match. As they pulled up to the store, she squealed with with joy, she goes, I just can't wait for Easter, Daddy. Surprised, he asked her, he said, do you know what Easter means, Nicole? And without a hesitation at all, she looked at him and she replied, surprise! Well, what does Easter mean? In her own three-year-old way, with arms raised and a smile on her face, she got it right. Surprise! He is risen, he is risen indeed. Surprise of all things. You see, when Jesus stepped out of the tomb, he took a step into our lives. He stepped out of the realm of time and space, and he came with the power of eternity, and he came with healing power, a power that overarches the heavens and the earth. As the old Christmas carol we sing says, hark the herald angels, he is risen with healing in his wings. His presence is a healing it brings a, a richness with power, and it is the power of the resurrection. It is a healing that fills in all the gaping holes of your heart that you once thought were totally lost to sin, but it is a healing that brings restoration 
and all those broken pieces are brought back together and you are made whole again in him. It is resurrection power. In the final book of the Bible, the book that takes us to the very edge of eternity, the resurrected Jesus takes his step onto the center stage and does so with power and authority. Three times in the book of Revelation, Jesus is introduced with the very same phrase, but with each of those phrases and each of those introductions, we are given an added phrase that gives an added dimension to his resurrection presence. The first of those phrases appears in Revelation chapter 1, verse 7. (coughs) There, as all eyes are turned to Jesus... We hear him say, look, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And in verse 8 it says, he is is introduced by name, he says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the one who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. There is no greater power. The Alpha and the Omega, that is the phrase. In the the Greek, those are the first and the last letters of the alphabet. If it were English, we would say A to Z, or excuse me, I'm sorry, we're in Canada. A to Z, okay. And and if Jesus were to be speaking Canadian at that time, I am the, the A to Z, the Alpha to the Omega. And what that means is that whatever it is about Jesus being almighty, With his power, the power of resurrection, it covers everything, every word, every idea, every hope, every aspiration, everything that is and was and is to come. Jesus is the measure of all things known to mankind. Now there is a town in California, some of you may have visited, it's called Azusa, California. My daughter went to university there in Azusa. Now, it sounds like a strange name at first, but it has a history. In its earliest years, it was just a simple train stop on the L.A. to Cucamonga Railway. It was just a little cluster of of houses, but it did have one large general store right across the street from the train stop. And it had a big sign in front of it that said, Welcome to Azusa, everything from A to Z in the U.S.A., That's pretty clever advertising. That's great for sales. As if to say, everything you need is right here. You want it? We got it. You don't need to look any further. Well, now, some of you may have visited Azusa. And believe me, it is a bit of a disappointment. Uh, And I've got to tell you, however, that this Easter Sunday morning, when Jesus steps onto the stage of history... And he says, I am the Alpha Omega. There is no disappointment. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says Jesus. Added up in all the needs of the entire universe, as well as every need, even in your human heart, are covered by his grace. I have the answer, Jesus is saying. I have your answer. Now, there may be some who think, but he doesn't know me. If Jesus were able to look at my heart, I think he would be surprised. Maybe he would even be overwhelmed that that there's something about me that, 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 that goes outside of his control. No. He is the Alpha and the Omega, and he already knows it all, even better than you do. 
And he is never going to be overwhelmed by what is or what, but even more, he is in control of what will be because that is in his name. He is almighty. Surprise, he is risen. (coughs) He has the power to do something totally wonderful in what he sees in you. In the book of Revelation, that name is so important that it appears not just in the first chapter, but then it is repeated twice more in the book. And each time with a phrase that just adds to its dimensions. In Revelation chapter 2, verse 21, I'm sorry, Revelation 21, verse 6, he, he repeats the announcement. He says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To him who is thirsty, I will give drink without cost from the spring of the water of life. In chapter 1, he was the Alpha and the Omega who was and is and is to come. Here he is, Alpha and Omega. He is beginning and end. And in him springs life. And with that, he is able to sustain everything within the circle of life and the circle of your need. Let me explain just a few of the terms that he uses there. The word beginning here does not mean something or someone who stands at the front of the line. It is not beginning as in page one or in the first period. The word literally means the origin. And as the Greek would go back to the Hebrew, it literally says Genesis. I am the Genesis, the beginning. Uh, the, The source from which all things flow. So when he says that he is the beginning, he's he's taken us all the way back to creation. And even before, in the the springing to life of the entire universe. In the first chapter of the Gospel of John, we read that of Jesus. He was with the Father in the beginning. And there that word is again. And that puts Jesus even before creation. And in verse 3 it says, Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life is the light of mankind. That's not just creation at large. Life in the universe, it is also your life as well. And with the power of the resurrection, he was there for you even before your life began. Do you understand that? Before the beginning, before page one, Before chapter 1, before even the first word had ever been written, he was there. You realize that in doing that, he made you with a purpose and he made you for himself. In the Bible it says in Psalm 139 that you were woven by the hand of the Lord, that your inner character and being, and and that he was there even before you were made. And with that wonderful name, Jesus says, I was there at the very beginning. I knew you even before you were born, and I know you right now better than anyone will ever know you, even yourself. I am for you the beginning, the genesis of life. But even more in Revelation 21, he says, I am the beginning and the end. And once more, that word end means so much more than the English can express. It's a special Greek word that means the goal, the consummation, or as one Greek scholar defines it, that in which all things come to their completion, the telos. And once again, that becomes very personal for you and for me. 
If Jesus made you by design, he also knows how to come in and repair you and remake you so that you might come to completion in that design. Some of you may have come to that point in your life where you realize things have really gone sideways. They've gone so far out of control. You were meant to be something. You were meant to be someone much different than what you've become. And you may wonder to yourself, is it just for the scrap heat or can I start over? Is there in fact a second chance? How can I get back on track and become the man or the woman that God made me to be from the very beginning of time? It is with the power of the resurrection that Jesus comes and says, I am your beginning and your end, the only one who is able to take you in hand and lead you forward into life and make a whole new you out of you. And we read that in Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. He who began a good work in you, in the beginning, will in fact be capable of perfecting it until that day of Jesus Christ when you hear him say these words. I am your beginning and I am your end. I am the Alpha. I am the Omega. Is that resurrection power in you? He is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. There's just one more. The third time Jesus is introduced in the book of Revelation as the Alpha and the Omega, we find two more names added to this growing list. In Revelation chapter 22, verse 13, we read, Jesus is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, and the first and the last. The first, again, (laughs) that word does not mean that he stands at the head of a line. The Greek word means that he stands over all things. He is preeminent. And there is no one who can challenge him as a competitor, for he is He is exclusive. There is no second. And this phrase echoes what the prophet Isaiah said in in Isaiah 44, verse 6. This is what the Lord says. The King, the Redeemer, the Lord Almighty, the one who possesses all those names, I am the first and the last. Apart from me, there is no God. To whom do you turn to for any answers in life? Oprah? Self-help books? Dr. Phil? Uh, To whom do you look for, for direction? Who could possibly love you and have a plan for your life? And who possibly could be able to come to you with a resurrection power to make that all come alive. Jesus Christ stands over all the heavens and the earth and is reaching out to you even on this Sunday morning saying, I am the first and the last. And again, that word last here does not mean at the end of the line. The Greek word here is eschaton, from which we get the theological science of eschatology, which covers all the teaching that takes us into eternity. Jesus Christ is the Lord for eternity. He is the one with whom you must deal with for life and for life after life, life after death. Resurrection is a reality. It is the reality that puts Jesus Christ standing at the door. And he is ready to welcome you at last 
and into eternity. But on this Sunday morning, this Easter Sunday morning, first things first, will you open your heart to Him right now? Realizing that His presence brings gentle, powerful grace and gifts of love. It's a matter of life. And it is a matter of eternal life. The story is told of William Sangster, one of London's most prominent preachers. On Easter Sunday, before he died, he scribbled a note to his daughter. It was a painful act for him because he was in the final stages of a terminal disease that had progressively paralyzed his body, even his vocal cords, to the point where he could do little more than blink his eyes and move his fingers. But on his last Easter Sunday, as his life on earth was coming to a close, he he moved his fingers, pencil on paper, and he wrote these words and gave them to his daughter. And she read out how terrible it is to wake up on Easter Sunday and have no voice to shout, He is risen! But then there was a pause in the note. And the next line said, Far worse to have a voice and not to shout. Can you raise your voice this morning? Can you take your stand before the world like that simple Russian peasant and make it known Christ is risen? This is the day, this is the moment to make up your mind that your soul is in the hand of him who loved you and gave himself for you and out of the grave now is holding you and forevermore shall guide you into all eternity. He is risen. He is risen. He is risen. risen. And he is yours and he is mine and we are his forevermore. Let us pray. Gracious, Gracious Heavenly Father, I thank you for this continual remember memory each and every year of the wonderful grace that is ours in Jesus Christ. You've broken through the grave, but Lord, for some you awake breaking into their lives, for the door still remains closed. Lord, I thank you that you have broken into the lives for Mike and for Nini and for all within this congregation who have learned to trust you. I pray that you break into their lives once again with a gentle reminder of the richness of your grace. But Lord, there may be some within this sanctuary right now whose whose door is still held against resurrection power. Such a feeble image to think that such a door could hold back such, such a mighty thing. And yet, Lord, it, it is true. And I pray that now, by the gentle grace of your spirit, you would take the hands off of that and the door would open. And that, Lord, you would enter into the life, the one or the two or the three or however many there are within the sanctuary right now who need to know you. I need to know you and call you by name, Jesus Christ, my Lord. Jesus Christ, my risen Savior. Jesus Christ, I am yours, both now and forevermore. Lord, I pray that you would hear them as they pray, and I, Lord, would ask you to hear us as we pray. Thank you, Lord, for the wonderful grace of Jesus. Amen.